Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Fergo and the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is the affable League Freak. You can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you doing there? Hello, Hello everyone. <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. Um, and a big shout out to Warwick Moss. Hope yeah, you're doing so, well, Warwick. Yeah, we had a good chat about him. Um, people may not know or... They may do. He was the voice on the That's Rugby League documentary that was filmed around oh, probably a bit over 15 years ago now. Mm. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's brilliant. It's really uh, good, yeah. Speaking of history of rugby league, today we're going to be looking at the history of state of origin and looking at the uh, what we've called the Wally Lewis era and the period of time leading up to it. Yeah, so we're going to do basically a three-part series looking at State of Origin because the way we saw it, there was three main eras in rugby league. Um, The first one was dominated by Wally Lewis, and I think it's fair to call it the Wally Lewis era. The second era we felt was Brad Fittler, Andrew Johns era. Um, A little bit of overlap there because in between, but we felt like that was probably the best way to describe it, um, that we started off with the Wally Lewis era where Queensland were quite dominant and then it moved into the Fitler era where New South Wales kind of got to the point where they were actually leading a lot of the statistics in state of origin. And then the last part, which is basically going to be what we will term almost the Immortals era where Queensland have like just a group of probably, I mean, what could you say? It's probably 15, maybe even 20 players that were just absolutely incredible around about the same age and just an, an an amazing run that they went on so we're going to break it into three separate podcasts and it'll allow us to focus a little bit on the games and the series and some of the storylines and things like that so um, we hope you enjoy it absolutely let's get into it so uh interstate football began back in 1908 and even then queensland were at a disadvantage because they didn't even have a rugby league competition in the state at the time. Um, their first competition was in 1909 in Brisbane. Uh, a few other country outliers also started up their comp then as well. So New South Wales won the first ever interstate game 43-0. Using today's scorelines, that would have actually been a scoreline of 52-0, just to show you how dominant it was. Mm, those um, were the days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, South, South Swinger Tommy Anderson scored four tries in that match. Uh, Tommy McCabe got two. Arthur Butler, Billy Can, Sid Dean, they all crossed for one each. The immortal Daly Messenger kicked eight goals. Wow. The second game saw uh, New South Welshman Pat Welsh make his rugby league debut. He wasn't even a Queenslander. Wow. He was playing uh, he was playing for Queensland just hours after arriving in Australia on um, via a boat trip from New Zealand where he'd been playing rugby union. That's pretty uh, incredible that he just get, got off the boat and went straight to a state match. Yeah, he was being told about the key differences between the two games on the uh, journey from the docks to the ground. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> um, so New South Wales also fielded a weaker side to try and make it a more even contest. Mm-hmm. And they still end up winning the game, but this time the scoreline was only 12-3. to 3. Oh, Wow. Queenslanders were really struggling. It's interesting because I, I guess back then with where rugby league was, it was almost like a entrepreneurial exhibition match that they would have been thinking to themselves, listen, we need to make money out of these games going forward. And if this is one-sided, it will be all over pretty soon. So they, they were looking at ways to make it more competitive back then. Exactly right. So, and they needed to they needed to be competitive in more places than just Sydney as well if they were going to be successful. Mm-hmm. So, um, I suppose evidence of that was earlier in the year when Queensland played their first, uh, I think, the first few games. They were against the New Zealand team that were returning from their journey to England, mm-hmm. and they played the first game against the All Golds and were beaten uh, thirty-four to twelve. So, for the second game. Daly Messenger lined up for Queensland. He became their first player to play for the play for the state who wasn't actually from there. Oh wow. That's and interesting. His his appearance, he scored a try and three goals, which was nine points then, in the twelve all draw with the New Zealand side. That's how much of an input and how much of a impact he had. 
It'd be interesting to see. Um, that would be a great like trivia question. If you said somebody, how many games did Dally Messenger play Queensland? You know, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, so yeah, after that, New South Wales won the first twenty-two games between the two states, scoring a total of seven hundred and forty-nine points to Queensland's two hundred and twenty-three, which was an average scoreline of thirty-four to ten. Very one-sided. Uh, in 1922, Queensland finally scored their first ever win over the Blues. Uh, it was the start of a very successful period for Queensland where they won eight straight games and 17 of 24 matches from 1922 to 1928. Uh, the 1930s were then dominated by New South Wales again, and that dominance continued after 1940, which saw 130 games played with New South Wales winning 102. There were six drawn games and Queensland won just 22 matches. Now, the thing about a lot of this that needs to be remembered is that Queensland started producing really, really good players. Like, once they got their local competition going and they were producing amazing players in their own right, but all of the money was, or the big money, was basically in Sydney, in the Sydney competition. And these teams were residence teams. So if you lived in New South Wales, even if you were born in Queensland, raised in Queensland, all of that, you had to play for Queensland. And it really skewed the competition. And you can see it in those results because all of these great Queenslanders that would come down to Sydney clubs to as professional sportsmen, they would end up playing for New South Wales against Queensland. And, I mean, you look at how long it lasted that they were just hammering Queensland over and over again. That's exactly right. Um, in 1971, Ron McAuliffe became both a senator and the chairman of the Queensland Rugby League. So he was a senator in the Australian Parliament. Mm-hmm. and became the chairman of the Queensland Rugby League. Um, he, he initially set about trying to stop Sydney clubs poaching Queensland talent, um, as it both hampered the Queensland competition and also, as you said, saw those Queenslanders playing against New South Wales and beating their own state. Um, McAuliffe introduced uh, state-based contracts and, and long ones as well and left to try and stop that flow of players south. Uh, and then in 1977, he got the idea, the first initial idea of a state of origin concept after noticing the immediate switch in results of the VFL games that were played between Victoria and Western Australia. So in the first game in 77, Victoria belted Western Australia by 63 points. Four months later, they played a return match under state of origin rules and Western Australia flogged Victoria by 94 points. Um, McAuliffe looked at that and thought that looks like a similar thing that would happen if we did that in rugby league Mm -hmm. and it's interesting that once again in rugby league and we've seen this time and time again over a lot of the innovations in the game you need a central person that is driving the change it can't be by committee it needs somebody that really takes it upon themselves and says this is what we've got to do and they really campaign for it and push it along yeah and McAuliffe was great at that and he was I suppose that the whole origin concept would not have got ahead if he hadn't have had the cooperation and openness to it that he got from the New South Wales Rugby League boss, Kevin Humphreys at the time, because mm-hmm. uh, he was really keen on, on the idea as well when it was put to him. Um, in 1980, a meeting was held involving a delegate from each New South Wales Rugby League club where they decided whether state of origin should go ahead. The vote got up, nine votes to three, the three clubs who voted against it, just so you can hate on them if you like, um, were St. George, South Sydney, and the Roosters. There you go. I wonder why they voted no. I wonder if it had anything to do with, I mean, for the Roosters, they, they liked getting Queensland players. Um, but, yeah, I wonder what their reasons were for voting against it. It might have just been the personal preference of the people that were casting the votes. It could have been. I mean, given that they were, I suppose, officially the three traditional clubs, like they, mm-hmm. they'd been formed in 1908. Mm-hmm. Maybe they just saw it as a um, a traditional idea that they should stick with. Yeah, possibly. And the interesting thing about it too is that back then, those clubs would have carried a lot of weight. Absolutely. Um, the New South Wales Rugby League and the Country Rugby League 
they were both hugely in support of this. The Country Rugby League is understandable given that there was a very similar record between Sydney and or or City mm-hmm. and the Country Rugby League games over the you know pretty much over the same period where City just dominated in such an such an oppressive manner almost that after every series for a long time especially through the 50s and 60s you'd always always hear articles coming up saying should we just get rid of city versus country it's pointless yeah and the same talk was starting to come up about interstate games to the point where the last few games were played at Leichhardt Oval in front of meager crowds yeah, and like shockingly, shockingly small crowds. Like, like I think it was fifteen hundred people for the game leading into the first State of Origin game. It was an afterthought, and it's really weird to think that even if you played those games with the residency rule in place now in the NRL, I mean, imagine playing in front of fifteen hundred people. It'd be like being at a Roosters game <laughs> <laughs> or a Super League game. Yeah. <laughs> um, on on July 8th, 1980, at Lang Park, the first ever State of Origin game was played, where Queensland won 20 to 10 in a what was just a one-off match to see how it would go. Um, they had two interstate games were played earlier that year, and New South Wales won both of those, 35 to 3 and 17 to 7. So now, now before we talk about the the State of Origin game itself, right? Mm-hmm. I would like to read some of the quotes from people in the media. Good about, idea. Yeah, what they what they said leading into the State of Origin game. And it's interesting because we talked about, me and you talked about this the other night, and we see patterns in a lot of the things in rugby league history. And this was just a giant red flag uh, pattern that was in the game with how people talked about this. Um, so there was a, there was a number of there was three main quotes that jumped out at me when we were researching this. Uh, the first one was from the Daily Mirror's Ron Casey. Uh, I believe Ron Casey passed away recently, unfortunately, but he called it basically a phony promotion, and he said, "Quote to the Queensland Hillbillies in Peter John's in Premier John's uh, Joe, sorry's Banana Land State of Origin match might be a big idea." But those in the land of the living here in Sydney, it's just another match without meaning. Um, Ray Warren, who it's kind of weird to think about him writing for the uh, Sunday Telegraph, said, I know a lot of people are upset at the go-ahead of the State of Origin game, but I congratulate those who pushed it through. Queensland and New South Wales country areas need an injection of life, and this match can do nothing but good for the game north of the border. The last one that I thought was interesting was from Bob Fulton. And uh, he was the uh, the coach of Eastern Suburbs, I believe. So that probably says why, where, where they were coming from. Um, he said in the Daily Mirror, Rugby League's non-event of the century will be staged in Brisbane next month. A totally useless state of origin clash between New South Wales and Queensland. Only the $30,000 gate could make it acceptable to administrators. No Sydney club could possibly want the match, but no doubt it will go ahead. As far as I'm concerned, it's strictly a non-event and will achieve absolutely nothing. So it was interesting that back then in the media, people, it was, there was a lot of rubbishing it, that it was just, I mean, we saw non-event there. And then there were those that sort of thought, this is needed. Um, and it's interesting to think about having that, those two different opposing sides, and it's kind of a shock that the concept got up, really. It is when you've got someone like Bob Fulton saying pretty... I mean, he's, he's not mincing with his words there. He's pretty clear-cut with what he's trying to say. He was definitely opposed this from the start. Mm. Um, I wonder if we'll find a quote later on down the line in, in a future episode where he regrets what he said. Yeah. As <laughs> a uh, non-event. Wow. Yeah. Kind of, it's funny that there are some events in rugby league that you can look back and say, wow, that was a real moment in the history of the game. Um, there's few bigger than that first state of origin game. And, yeah, to get, I wouldn't like to have gone into a game like that saying, oh, this is going to be a non-event. <laughs> oh, exactly. I, I would have thought that Fulton might have been a bit more open to it given that, you know, one of his teammates was uh, Arthur Beetson for a while there during the 70s. Yeah, and especially, I mean, 
Although I guess the residency thing was something that Bob Fulton knew a lot about because he was born in England and played played for Australia. So there you go. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, so, yeah, so with the results there in 1980, mm. McAuliffe's, McAuliffe's feelings from 1977 when he watched those VFL games were, were justified. He saw that and went, okay, it did happen in rugby league. Mm-hmm. Um the New South Wales Rugby League decided to to do use the same system again the next year where they had the two games played under the residential rule and the one game at the end under origin rules. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happened again. So uh, New South Wales won 10-2 and then 22-5. And then in the standalone origin fixture, Queensland won 22-15. Yeah, and the th- interesting thing about the first two state of origin games, man of the match was Chris Close, our good friend Choppy. So... You know, a pretty cool thing for him to have on his resume. Absolutely. Um, the the change in results and the improvement in the Queensland side, the increased TV viewing uh, numbers, the, the good gates, all of it pointed to State of Origin being much better for the game and much better for both states. So it was decided then that, the residential-based uh, interstate series was going to be scrapped as of 1982, and they would adopt a full state of origin series from then on. Yeah, and and it's kind of weird that it took a couple of years to do. And I guess at this point in time, it was still an experiment, which is really weird to think about. Exactly. So quickly going back to the 1980 game, and while it was considered a non-event, especially when you had... Incidents such as, you know, Immortal and the late Arthur Beaton being called back at the age of 35, I think he was, from Parramatta's reserve grade, to Captain Queensland. I think people saw that as being some, you know, making somewhat of a mockery of it or it was just going to be a bit of a joke game. They didn't realise how passionate and how determined Beaton was about this idea. And he pulled out one of his greatest performances of his career for this match. And one of the big, the big moments in that match was when... He hit teammate of Parramatta, Mick Cronin, in a tackle. And some people have referred to it as the, ta- the, the punch that made origin because mm. there's two teammates starting to have a fight with one another. Straight away we saw that this, this was a war between two states and that's how it's going to be. Yeah, and he probably grabbed him and just put one on him. Like, it wasn't... They were holding nothing back. And I guess that's also where the, the mate-against-mate, state-against-state sort of thing really was born um and it was you know arthur beaton and it, it it proved to be something that has carried on through the entire series where you will very often see teammates belting the hell out of each other and it's interesting that you you look at the way that it has probably had an effect on some of the australian teams over the years when they would get selected and there would sometimes be hangover from the state of origin series but there's no doubt that, I mean, it was it, it has done so much for Australian rugby league and and its rise to be completely dominant, not only off the field but on the field and in the test arena as well. That's exactly right. So, uh, 1980 saw obviously Mal Meninga playing as well for Queensland. There, um, there was quite a few handy Queenslanders in that side. Obviously, mm-hmm. Wally Lewis was there. A bit of trivia, though, is that Wally Lewis was not at 5'8 in that game where he played most of his career. He actually started at lock. Yeah, that's an, an incredible, uh, once again, another really good trivia question. Um, it's kind of crazy to think that pretty much anyone in the history of the game could push Wally Lewis from 5'8 to lock. Yeah, he was... Um, he's, uh the Queensland halves in that game were Alan Smith and Greg Oliphant. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, it worked. But uh, by in 1981, they decided to put Lewis into his uh, his usual position of 5'8", and he was captain as well. Um, yeah, and just, I mean, it was pretty quickly evident that Wally Lewis was something special at this in this arena. And... You know, naming him as captain, uh, one of the great moves in rugby league history because he was really a, a, a rallying point for Queensland. Still is. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he sort of he ran with the ball that um, Beaton had, I guess, with that passion there because he he played with the same same amount of passion for that state as as anyone else, if not more so. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, it's I mean, he is he's like state of origin, Wally Lewis, man. They got a statue out of it. <laughs> yeah, they did. So the 1981 game is remembered mostly for for two things, and that was. Les Boyd pretty much teeing off against anything that was Marone, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a try by Chris Close at the end, where he gave he gave Eric Gross one of the strongest, fiercest backhanders you'll ever see. Oh God! <laughs> we watching it back the other day. Actually, God, that is brutal. He did not miss. Yeah, the way to describe it is, Growth makes an amazing try saving tackle right at the try line, like he chases the the Marones play down. Chris and he gets him around the legs. It's a, a legs tackle. Chris Close grabs him by the back of his hair, picks him up, slams his face down against the player's legs, picks him up again so he's in a prone position, and just does this swinging back fist. <laughs> then picks up the ball from dummy half and scores a try. Absolutely amazing, and it makes you think about what would happen if that happened in the State of Origin game these days. Like how many weeks he'd, he'd miss, the try would not be given, all this sort of stuff, and yet it's this amazing moment, and you've really got to see it. Uh, really incredible moment in the game. So, and it's it's not something that you go, oh, the referee just missed it. I mean, no. there was no one else around. The referee had no <laughs> obstruction. He just went, that's fine by me. Play on. <laughs> Yeah, it was just all of a sudden, Chris Close just assaults someone and then scores a try. <laughs> it was, uh, oh boy. But it just it showed more than anything the level that New South Wales needed to play at. Yeah, yeah. And they struggled to get there. Um, 1982, Beaton was coach for Queensland. And uh, Queensland again dominated winning the series. Ron McAuliffe threatened to abandon future Origin games if the Sydney clubs continued to um, make life difficult for Queensland to have access to their players that were playing in Sydney. Yeah, and I guess, I mean, that would have been the start of really the the representative camps that we know today. And it just, uh, you know, we're just so used to them. And I guess it's weird to think that they started somewhere as well. Um, It makes you wonder how in the first couple of games, how quick the Queensland teams had to gel. Like if it was just a couple of days or something that they all flew in. Um, but yeah, it's, I guess that was the start of our, our big origin camps that we now are just so used to. Yeah, I guess too in those days, the New South Wales players were pretty much all playing in the one competition in Sydney, mm-hmm. whereas all of the Queensland players are playing in the Brisbane competition and the Sydney competition. So yeah. Um, this this showed too once again how serious how much more seriously Queensland were taking this than New South Wales were. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to prepare for this. They didn't just want to rock on up on the day, and it it does it shows that this meant more to them early on than it did to New South Wales. And I guess the thing from a New South Wales point of view at this point too is that you've still got to carry all of the winning history that they had in interstate matches into these, when you think about state of origin and new South Wales had had moments in their history where Queensland did win a game here or there, but I don't, so it would be very easy to not really understand the gravity of what was happening up in Queensland around state of origin at this time um, from new South Wales point of view, especially when the media were very dismissive of the concept um, still to a certain extent, and dismissive of the Brisbane competition in general. Exactly. Um, and it was also, so in 1983, jumping ahead there, we also saw the first part of some of the mind games about favouritism mm-hmm. between, you know, usually levelled by Queensland against New South Wales. Mm. Um, they started to happen around there. And it was fueled by the fact that on the 1982 Kangaroo Tour, um, Brett Kenny was replaced. Uh, sorry, Brett Kenny replaced Wally Lewis mm. in the Australian team for the uh, Ashes winning series. Mm. And a lot of Queenslanders thought that there was complete bias there because the Australian coach was also the New South Wales State of Origin coach. Yeah. 
And so that and, fueled a whole heap of other speculation from there, which was just another motivating factor for Queensland that New South Wales were also not prepared for. Yeah, and, and really was the spark of paranoia that Queensland, like Queensland, I know you'd be upset here and that, but let's face it, you're paranoid. You really are. And it comes from things like that. And I think if that happened in this day and age, people would kind of look at it a little bit different. Um, for instance, if if Mal Meninga was the Queensland and Australian coach, and he was he wanted to lean towards Queenslanders, I think that people would be like, yeah, he kind of knows what he wants out of a team. He's got the results and things like that. Um, but that sort of paranoia and that I don't, I don't know, like that distrust of the New South Wales establishment. It carries on even to today. Even when you look at all of the success the Queensland have had, there's still that complete distrust of, you know, the big wigs in Sydney. They're out to get us. Um, yeah, it's a and... deep, it's a deep seated hatred, and it's built into other areas, which we'll get into later, mm-hmm. outside of state of origin. Mm. Um, you know, we could argue that it was it was part of the distrust that went on between the Broncos and the New South Wales Rugby League that, you know, saw about the Super League war. But that's, that's, for, that's for another discussion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 1983 was the birth of Brett Kenny versus Wally Lewis, mm. um, two of the greatest five-eighths this country's produced. What a showdown, hey? Like, oh. unbelievable. Phenomenal. Now, uh, 1984 saw the first time that New South Wales started taking State of Origin seriously, mm-hmm. um, where... And it was just, it was small steps, but they started to insist that all clubs who had players named in the New South Wales Origin side, they insisted that they stand those players down the week before each Origin game is to be played, so they get properly prepared and trained in order to to win the games. Um, they didn't win the series in '84, but it did have a profound effect because in 1985 they won their maiden Origin series, uh, and we've got that iconic image of Steve Mortimer on his knees sort of relieved with his arms pointing up towards the air in celebration after winning game two, which just happened to be on my birthday. Oh, wow. Interesting. That's cool. Okay. And I, the thing is, too, you finally saw that New South Wales realised they had a challenge on their hands and that it was something to achieve to win this series once again. And... I mean, that's had, that's had a big effect on the series as well. And I think sometimes New South Wales has lost that at times. Um, a lot of people feel as though State of Origin is at its best when, like, New South Wales has to overcome Queensland. And it's, I tell you what, it's hard to argue against that. It is. The, the good thing about this series is it was the first time we actually got two teams passionate and mm. dedicated to the series. And when New South Wales getting up, you just knew it was the one thing Queensland needed to anger them and get them more fired up for the next series and moving on from there. And it really did have that impact. <laughs> um, yeah. Because another thing that happened in 85 was we saw Steve Roach come into the New South Wales side. And he took over from a previous firebrand in Les Boyd. And he was one of those players who Queenslanders love to hate because mm-hmm. Blocker didn't take a backward step. More often than not, he'd start a game and his his sole aim was to go out and find someone to hit. And yeah, that and, was very Les Boyd of him. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about as as we go into from 85 and into 86, and 86 was a tremendous series for New South Wales. And when you look at their teams, the team hardly changed at all for New South Wales in the whole series. Um but you start to see some of the players come in who it's almost like you're seeing some of the older players leave the team at this point for New South Wales. And the players that are coming into it are state of origin era players. And they're really the first generation of our state of origin players where the Queensland players, I mean, it seemed as though their first generation was from game one. It felt like these, these two series were our first generation of New South Wales state of origin players. I fully agree, especially when you had a lot of young guys like, um, yeah, they hadn't been in there yet, but you knew they were coming, like um, Greg Alexander. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you still had Laurie Daly to come. These these guys had, were kids who grew up watching the state of origin and getting 
what it was about and getting how important it was. Yeah. Whereas the players who were playing at the time had been playing, you know, some had been playing in the 70s when New South Wales just flogged Queensland all the time. And so they had this dismissive view of interstate games. Mm-hmm. They didn't grow up with the hatred that Queensland had for constantly being beaten all the time. And yeah. Being dismissed so easily, I guess. Yeah, and it's a different mindset, and you see it sometimes in rugby league. I mean, I think there's been times where we've seen it at test level for Australia, where Australia will go through the motions and kind of just win. And it's a good thing when that gets broken eventually because it, it you see teams and and players and everything, they, they dedicate themselves to overcoming a challenge. And I think that New South once New South Wales finally got what Origin was about – you, it it really solidified the series because now it wasn't just Queensland beating the crap out of New South Wales and sort of getting payback for all those years that they'd lost. Now, all of a sudden, this was a genuine contest and you didn't know who was going to win going into these games. And you had players that were starting to lift to a new level to beat one another in these contests. Absolutely. And it was only further enhanced in 1986 when New South Wales won in a clean sweep mm-hmm. because straight away Queensland's taken back to those games prior to Origin where they're just getting beaten easily. Well, not easily, but they're just getting beaten all the time. Mm-hmm. And this sparked a, a bit of a revolution almost within the Queensland side. It took a few years for it to kick in, but there was a change in mentality. Um some would say that in the 85, 86, 87 period, the, the aggression that they played with early on had dropped off a little bit. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the 80s, it, bloody hell, it came back again. <laughs> yeah, with a vengeance. Absolutely. Um, I was going to say, there was a few players in the 86 series who came through who were uh, making their debut. I had them written down here because I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Steve Folks, uh, yep. David, David Gillespie, um, Peter Jackson for so Queensland. Yeah. Yep. Uh, was Les Kiss for Queensland. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. But there's also, we saw players like Gary Jack um, really really nail down that position of fullback there for the Blues. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Belcher and Dale Shearer start to make a name for themselves as well in the, that arena. It's one um, of the incredible things about that this series, the, the 1986 series, the uh, the New South Wales team in the whole series only made it like three changes. Yeah, uh, They yeah. had Steve Morris, who they replaced with Brian Hetherington and then Brian Johnson in the last game. And the only other change they made to anyone on the team was in game three, where Andrew Farrar... Um, was replaced by Eric Growth. And that, I mean, that is absolutely incredible. That's something that you just don't see anymore from either team, really. Yeah. Um, it, it was phenomenal how how strong that unit was, that, that team that New South Wales had there and how consistent they were. And it was because of that unity, as you said. Um, it's something they haven't learned from. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Making a thousand changes, but I think one of the things that that gets lost when people talk about changes in their state of origin games is you have to be blessed with bringing together a unit of players that works really well together, and I think we've only seen that a few times in all of Origin history, where a, a team has been brought together and it has just worked pretty much straight away. They've all gelled. There's no need to change them. The vast majority of state of origin, there's been changes needed to be made by both sides, and both sides have done it. Um, and it's interesting that when you see teams put on really good performances and have a really good run, they've just it's like being a, a group of players. They're all around the same age. They all gel really well. There's no need to make changes. They just all work as a unit. And I find it interesting. And I wonder if it's something you can you can predict or create. Or if it's just luck, it's uh, I look. I think it's probably fair to say to be a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah, but I think if you can build it and keep it, then it, it reduces the amount of luck required. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, eighty six also saw the interstate coaching debut of one Wayne Bennett. 
Yes. Replacing Arthur Beetson. Yeah, and, uh, you know, some great uh, Wayne Bennett moments, some iconic Wayne Bennett moments at State of Origin level. Um, uh, it's, it's funny that he was able to, for such a placid sort of seeming human, yeah, that he was able to invoke such passion out of them and out of the Queensland state. Yeah. Given given what what was about to happen as well in the next few years, mm-hmm. uh, and how they played for one another as a team, and how much anger they had towards the Blues as well. Yeah, and it's something that he's always been. I mean, he still does it to this day. He can solidify a team. He can take a team that is okay and pretty good, and really make them play with a real steely determination. Um, and that's his great strength as a coach. Always has been. That's right. Uh, 1987 came along, and we saw a host of uh, new young players come into the game for both sides. Uh, Andrew Eddinghausen, Mark McGaw, Les Davidson, David Boyle, Martin Bella, Trevor Gilmeister, Alan Langer, who was told he was too small. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy to think Alan Langer too small, like, and that he would terrorise New South Wales for nearly 20 years from that point on. Um, and, you know, the thing, too, is that Alan Langer was probably the first player, because he was almost plucked from obscurity from the point of view of the media and and, and the the big league, which was, was the New South Wales Rugby League, um, he's almost plucked from obscurity and just is a giant in the arena of giants. And was probably the one of the first few players that was really in that mould. You know, Wally Lewis had already been doing it. Arthur Beetson had shown that you could step up at the end of your, your career. And now this young kid that's way too small to play, be playing rugby league in general comes out and all of a sudden it's like, what do we do with this dude? We can't stop him. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Um, a lot of people remember the, the infamous kiss on the forehead that Wally Lewis gave him as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that was that was in at the end of game two when Queensland won the series. Yeah, uh, and then we've got the uh, the famous exhibition match. Yes, in a in a weird. I don't even. I, I dare say we could call it a promotion attempt. the The New South Wales Rugby League decided to take the state of origin idea to California, where they played a fourth game. wasn't part of the series. It didn't matter who won this. It wasn't going to change the series result. It was all about promoting the game in America to a new market. And 12,000-odd fans came out to watch the game. And New South Wales won the match 30-18. to 18. And it pretty much inspired no one. <laughs> <laughs> Although it did sell a lot of um, masking tape. Because when Peter Sterling couldn't break through that banner... Because of not masking tape, a lot of people are like, man, you can use this to hold a house together. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, it was, you know what it showed? The, the thing that that game showed and taking it to the United States was that the rugby league authorities had 100% embraced that state of origin was a vehicle that could drive the game forward. And that's the big thing that comes out of that exhibition match, that it had now everyone understood that there was something special that we needed to show people this. Because if we show them what we're seeing, they're going to start to look at rugby league as a sport they want to watch more often. And so that's a that's almost as big of a achievement as trying to take a game to the United States itself. Exactly. Um, in the end, though, because there was no real follow-up, uh, the only value this game serves is, well, served in the past anyway. New South Wales officials and fans would often argue that the game should be counted. Therefore, the 1987 series would have been declared a tie, not a win to Queensland. Whereas Queensland officials have always said, it's an exhibition game, we should scratch it from the record books so that they can keep their Origin Series victory in 87. <laughs> yeah, yeah. look, I, from my un- unbiased point of view, is that uh, we should win the whole series. It's not a draw. We won the series. I mean, well, we that, won on foreign soil. Come that, on now. This is the argument that New South Wales is going to make because if it's a drawn series and given that New South Wales won in 86, mm. 
they'd they'd be declared the winner of the series. And you know the weird <laughs> thing about it too is that for uh, up until probably the early two thousands, this game was a tipping point between who had won the most State of Origin games and who would won the most series. And so it was a real talking point for a long time. It's not so much of a talking point now, unfortunately. But, yeah, it's it's funny that there's that quirk in State of Origin's history. Exactly. Now, 1988. Uh, wow. The big thing anyone's going to remember from this is Game 2. When Wally Lewis got sinbin, he was one of many. I mean, let's have a look at who got sinbin in that game. It was Steve Roach, Greg Canescu, Laurie Daly. I think it was Laurie Daly. Uh, Phil Daly, sorry. I knew I'd yep. get that one wrong. Yep. Uh, Phil Daly, Wally Lewis, and Steve Folks. Five players all got sent to the sin bin in that game. When Wally Lewis got put in the bin, and this is at Lang Park, the fans were so incensed that they threw away... Uh, their beer, they were throwing cans of Forex onto the field, mm. which caused the game to be halted while they had to get people out there to clean up the mess so they could get back to playing the game again. Um, and the interesting thing that I later found out was that sitting in the crowd, right behind the New South Wales interchange bench, was the New South Wales under-18s team who had played in the, the game beforehand. And two of those players were Brad Fittler and Tim Brasher. And they That's said so that awesome. there was... They said this was one of the most amazing things they ever experienced in rugby league. <laughs> and how about the balls on Mick Stone to send that many players off the field? Like, exactly. holy hell. Like, there's not many there's not many referees would be willing to do that these days. I, I reckon that um, Harrigan would have done it, but I can't think of too many other referees that would do something like that, especially in the state of origin game. Exactly. Um Despite all of that, Queensland still won the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, clean sweep, pretty... too. Yeah, it was a clean sweep. It was, too. Um, and it's it was pretty much when Queensland were at their absolute peak because they had that great mix of great new young talent coming through, experienced players who are in the prime of their careers, and included two two bloody immortals in Wally Lewis and Mal Meninga there. Yeah. Um, phenomenal outfit and they were just they were just about to get better yeah and so a couple of the interesting things about this series the the crowd average twenty five thousand people in this series which it seems so tiny these days i mean the whole crowd attendance was seventy five thousand for the three games which if you got that now in sydney they'd say oh state of origin is dying uh, which is kind of funny. Top try scorer in that series was Alan Langer with four tries in three games. How about that? He's that, way that too is, small. He's way too he, small. <laughs> that, that That's a great stat. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> now, next up of that was the 1989 series. And my goodness, we've heard about the Rourke's Drift Test from 1914 when England beat Australia with... So many players off the field with injuries and whatnot. Um, game two of this series saw Queensland practically repeat the feat. So I've got it written down here. In the in the 18th minute, Alan Langer broke his ankle. In the 29th minute, Mel Meninga went off with a fractured eye socket. Paul Vorton went off at half time and failed to return with an injury uh, to his elbow. In the 57th minute, Michael Hancock left the field with a shoulder injury. In the 75th minute, Bobby Lidner was stretched off the field. And Queensland still won the game. They won 16-12, to 12, thanks to a try at the end by Wally Lewis, one of the most famous tries where he's beaten all the players and then he's just got past Gary Jack at the end and he's sitting there celebrating both fists pumped as he's celebrating towards the sky after winning that after winning the game for Queensland. And it was quite fitting that he got past Gary Jack in the end there because that was the same year Gary Jack was named the Golden Boot best player in the world, and deservingly so. He was that good. Yeah, and I like did it at, in Sydney, at the Sydney Football Stadium. Yep. Um, just an unbelievable, one of the greatest wins by any team in, in rugby league history. They were down to 12 men on the field, and they still won. 
And I think that it's weird. I feel as though this game gets missing in State of Origin history. This game should be a rallying point every single year for Queensland. Uh, what an incredible effort. Absolutely incredible. And it's not like they lost players. It's not like they lost a winger and stuff. They were losing their best players, you know, and they still won. It just absolutely amazing. Certainly was. I need to correct myself too there too. Uh, Gary Jack was golden boot winner in 80, 1986. Wally okay. Lewis was the golden boot winner in 89. Okay. <laughs> but still. Oh, well, Wally Lewis, he, he probably deserved it <laughs> at some point. That was back when it actually mattered to the golden boot. Yeah, when it was awarded to the right people. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, now yeah. we go by the King of Rugby League Awards. They're the real <laughs> ones now. That's a carrot for down the line. Yeah, um, can't wait for that one. Yeah, that was... I would argue that that was, more than anything, that was a series that made Queensland, gave them that aura. Because from that point on, we saw so many times that you could never, ever count Queensland out of a game. How many times did you see after that? They come from behind to win a game at late, in the, late in the match. The fact yeah, that they won that game like that was sort of the start of that. It sort of it epitomized the, the Queenslander spirit, I guess, as, as we hear about so often. Yeah, and how many times do you, have we seen games where... New South Wales has everything lined up to win, and it'll be about the 60th minute, 65th minute, and Queensland are out on their feet. They're busted. They're just holding it together, and you're like, oh, here we go. New South Wales are going to go on and win this one, and then somehow 10 minutes later, Queensland are playing like just Hercules. You know, it's it's... It really is incredible what they managed to do in, in these games. And as you say, this is one of those matches that really cements that sort of determination that they have to win matches um, down to 12 players on foreign soil, and they still do it. Ah, it's infuriating. <laughs> That's the best way to sum it up. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> in 1990... New South Wales made a host of changes. You think seven was big. This is game one, 1987. These are just the debutants for New South Wales that year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rod Wishart, Ricky Walford, Ricky Stewart, Ian Roberts, Graham Lyons, Jeff Toovey. That's just for New South Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, Queensland brought in Steve Walters and Mark Coyne on the bench. Yeah, they'll go all right, I think. Um, yeah. But it, it it worked because New South Wales won that series. They won the first game 8-0. Mm-hmm. Um, the second game was the first time they took a match in the actual State of Origin series outside of Brisbane and Sydney where they played at the old and now non-existent Olympic Park in Melbourne. And 25,000 people turned up to that game where New South Wales won 12-6. And probably the most incredible thing about that game is that they managed to get 25,000 people into Olympic Park. Which Still don't probably, know how they did it. Yeah, I mean, how, like, that uncomfortably would seat 15,000. <laughs> <laughs> That's been pretty accurate. I've done a fair bit of work at that at that old venue there, and I, I, I don't know how they got 25,000 there. Yeah, crazy, absolutely crazy. Um, my, they might have been using those people who count tickets at GWS home games. <laughs> I would, I would love to see, uh, and, and I can't. I, I'd just love to see pictures of the crowd and see where they were stuffing people in at that stadium. Like, I just can't even imagine it. No, nah, it was crazy. Um, so yeah, that was a fantastic series. It had, it pretty much had everything. You had a great, great host of young players coming through who got what Origin was about. They were absolutely committed to it. That was for New South Wales. And Queensland were playing with that um, dogged tenacity that they'd always had. Because uh, the games were not... They were not um, floggings or anything like that. They were very tight, very keenly fought. And Queensland won the this, won the uh, dead rubber the third match, 14-10. to 10. The interesting thing about this series for me is that you start to see players coming into the New South Wales team in particular, and even the Queensland team to a certain extent, that are the foundations of the teams that, I guess, when you and I started to really be super invested in State of Origin as as young kids, basically, and growing up with State of Origin, and you start to see these names that 
to us were our state of origin players from our sort of I don't I, era is the wrong word, but when we were growing up and they were our guys, you know, it's yeah. cool to see that in this series. Absolutely. Um, I still remember this series. I don't know why, because it wasn't like there was one where they had crazy incidents, incidents like massive brawls or, um, you know, crazy antics by one player here or there or beer kings coming on the field. It was none of that. It was just, it was pure brilliant football from start to finish in every, in all games by mm. a bunch of players in their absolute prime who deserve to be there. Um, just a yeah. great series. Yeah. And to sum up the end of the Wally Lewis era, we're going to look at the 1991 series. And this is one that did have plenty of incidents. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> mostly by the name of Mark Geyer. Yeah, and like, and we've talked about this. We're we're going to talk to MG. We and he's the first person we've talked about wanting to interview. The thing we don't want to do when we interview MG is just focus on this event because everyone asks him about this event. But the well-known thing is, they basically said to MG and and they said go out and wreak havoc. Now, if you say that to somebody from our Druid, you should expect havoc. And that's exactly what he did. He went out and just played this role of, like, I will destroy everything that's in a maroon jumper. And in a crazy, crazy irony, it was probably the reason why he didn't play again for New South Wales. Like, it, they, they just felt like he'd gone too far. But that's exactly what they'd asked him to do. That's exactly right. Um and it was an important game too. And that was the reason why they brought him in because they wanted to. They needed someone to put the Queenslanders off their game. Um, Queensland won the first game six four, and New South Wales won the second match fourteen to twelve. I think that was the game where uh, Michael O'Connor famously kicked a sideline field goal in the driving rain. Mm. A cla- and, one of the maybe it's got to be top five games ever, just for all the stuff that happened in it. Yeah, that was a phenomenal match. Yeah. Um, Steve Walters had one of the best games of his career in that match from memory too. Yeah, yeah. And so he came to the series decider at Lang Park, of all places, game three. And, uh, yeah, MG gets brought in to be some, some uh, I was going to say, maniac enforcer. <laughs> That's pretty what? much the role he had. Well, it's it's interesting because he like the confrontation with Wally Lewis was in that second game. That's right, and and he just like that was his job. That's what they asked him to do, and he went out and and he did it. And, and it, that's the thing; it worked because it got New South Wales the win and over the line, back into the yeah, and it got him back into the series. Um, and yeah, it's it's really unfortunate that in some ways that he's thought of as the player that did that on that day because he was such an incredible player in so many other areas of the game. And this was probably an incident that I don't, it's not that it tarnished his career, but it it really colored his career, I guess is the best way to put it. And really, I guess, pigeonholed him in the eyes of certain people. And that was unfair because he was so much more as a player uh, he he was an incredible player, you know, and should have played so many more Origin games, so many more Test matches, um, and yeah. But what a I mean, what a moment to have! And when he was standing up to Wally Lewis, and everyone thought Wally Lewis is going to be destroyed here, and David Manson's there yelling at them both. Ah, oh, it's just it's one of the great moments in sporting history. It's kind of funny because you see. David Manson there, who looks like he's completely incapable of separating these two players, mm. until Benny Lice came along, who's shorter than Manson, mm. and made Manson look like, oh, maybe he's got a chance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what Benny was trying to do. <laughs> I've never ever thought of Benny Lice as being a peacemaker, um, especially yeah. if you read some of his, his comments in recent times about some footy stuff. Um, he doesn't really come across as someone who's trying to create peace anywhere. No, and it's interesting that... Like, it's interesting that not it didn't happen because, man, how many people could have stood in front of Mark Iyer at that moment and got in his face like Wally Lewis did 
and live to tell the tale. <laughs> uh, it, it was it was phenomenal because it showed too that it didn't matter how much of a maniac you were and how much bigger you were. Mm. Wally Lewis stood down to no one. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that was that was what made him so good. A lot of people remember the great things that he did with the ball, but a lot of people don't realize he was he was a very very good defender, and he was he always punched above his weight in everything he did. There was a great tackle he put, pulled off. I think it might have been an eighty-five or eighty-six test against New Zealand, mm-hmm. and it was against it was against some big second row. It could have even been a prop forward. I cannot remember his name unfortunately, but um, he crunched him. Mm. Immense one-on-one tackle. Oh, who was that? Yeah, I've seen that tackle. He and he really did. He like blasted him. <laughs> yeah, flat, just creamy, just looking. Go, God, that is still a big hit by today's standards. No matter how you look at it, it was intense and it was completely legal. There's nothing wrong with it. Just absolutely flattened the bloke. And you just look at him going. That was Wally Lewis. He was he was mm. that good in attack and defence. Everyone remembers the attack, obviously, like they do with Joey. But yeah, the defense was equal, undoubtedly. Definitely, and, and he was a big dude, like for yeah. a five eight, a properly big dude. And as a competitor, like a psychopath, exactly. Like just at the one of the, uh, you know, there's no one that was um, has been more of a competitor than Wally Lewis in the whole history of the game. That you could say, oh yeah, he was more competitive than, than Wally Lewis. Wally Lewis was going to give you every last ounce of what he had to give to win, and then he was going to give more, you know. And it it shone at its brightest in state at state of origin level. Um, he did it for Australia. He did it at club level. But at state of origin, when it was fair to say it, it, at this point, they could say the best of the best, you know. Uh, he was just like a force of nature. It was, and he he was absolutely passionate about winning. Mm. And this was seen uh, in Game 3, his last ever State of Origin game. No one knew about it, but he knew that the crowd would get behind him if they found out about it. And knowing that it was such a tight series, he, he made an announcement before the game. Well, not an announcement. He told the, the um, ground announcer before the game started to... Revealed to the or to the crowd over the uh, loudspeaker that this was going to be Wally Lewis's last ever State of Origin game. Mm-hmm. Wally knew that that would help because this is at Lang Park. He knew that that would fire up the crowd, get them chanting home their team. And so, with about ten minutes to go in the game, um, the the ground announcer makes the announcement: this is going to be Wally Lewis's last ever game of State of Origin. The crowd starts chanting; it's going crazy for him. Queensland wins the game 14 to 12 in the series. Wally Lewis bows out the winner. And that's exactly how it should have been. You would as a New South Wales person and I I love New South Wales. It's I'm super passionate about it even when we've been losing I've been super passionate about it. I wouldn't change this result. I wouldn't no. change it cuz Wally Lewis deserved to go out a winner. He earned it. He earned it as much as anyone's ever earned anything in this game. Um, and just an icon, and wow, I mean, real. And this is why we called this the Wally Lewis era, because from the start of this whole series right up until this point, he was a real force of nature, and he was who New South Wales had to try and overcome. And there would be series that we beat him in, but damn, we had to push ourselves right to the limit to beat him. Um, what a what a person, what a player, and what a man to start this series about. Just an icon of the game. Yeah, I mean, he. There's no words, no no way about it. He he made Origin. Arthur mm-hmm. Beaton started it with a punch, but Lewis was on the field when that happened. He was mm-hmm. there from the day one, um, and he he saw how passionate Beaton was. He ran with it. And, yeah, it literally got to the point where, especially those last five, six years of his time in origin there, that it was New South Wales versus Wally Lewis. There's even stories when Wally Lewis came and played test matches for Australia in Sydney 
the Sydney crowd would boo Lewis when he came onto the field to captain Australia. Yeah, and it, it was... It got to that level. Yeah. And, I mean, he was just... He was... He was just something completely different to anything I think we've really seen in rugby league up until this point, in that he was so recognisable as, you know, this is a guy that played for Australia and was one of Australia's great players ever. I, I think he's the greatest five-eighth of all time, personally. Um, but he, he was still seen as a Queenslander even when he played for Australia. And I know at the time that that really upset him. And I think in recent years, he's talked about how he's had to let that go to a certain extent because it really did make him angry. And at the time it it was infuriating to him, but I think it also shows just what he was to Queensland rugby league and what he symbolized to new South Wales rugby league and how important he was to this whole series. And it makes you wonder where State of Origin would be without somebody like Wally Lewis, who, I mean, New South Wales has never had somebody that has been able to say that they play with that same sort of fire in every single game, in every single minute that he did. And yeah. I was going just... to say, the closest you probably get is if you were able to take, say, someone like Jonathan Thurston, skill-wise. Mm-hmm. And then, and then attach say the passion of hatred that Queenslanders have for Paul Gallon to it. Yeah, and then give him the in-game, the in-game almost having a coach on the field that you have yeah. with Cameron Smith, where he does the right thing every single time, and he knows when to let his teammates do the work, and then when it is to stand up and do it. Oh, And also, he has the timing to win a game of a Darren Lockyer. You know, it's it's all of these things come together where you had this perfect state of origin player in Wally Lewis. Uh, incredible. Just incredible. Phenomenal human. It's one of the great treasures of being an old bastard like I am that I got to see a lot of Wally Lewis's representative career. Mm. Um it was so highly regarded too by the Queensland Rugby League that Wally was obviously offered contracts to move to Sydney and play with Sydney clubs there, most notably Manly and um, I think the Roosters also. Mm-hmm. And they were offering him contracts that would be competitive with what players are getting today. That's how much they were willing to throw at him. And the Queensland Rugby League refused to let him leave Queensland to play down there because they knew how important he was, not just to the Origin team, but to Queensland Rugby League overall. Yeah. That's how really big this was. human was. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Yeah. It, it makes you wonder, like, if if you could put a marketing value on it, and I'm sure somebody can, um, if you could put a marketing value on what Wally Lewis has meant to Queensland Rugby League, I mean, it's got to be in the tens of tens of millions of dollars. You know, and to the game overall, it's got to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars and literally in At the hundreds least. of millions of dollars. Yeah. Um, brilliant. And that he did... You know, nobody questions Wally Lewis having a statue, and there's a reason for that. Outside of Lang Park, I've been there. I've had my picture taken with it. It was incredible to see and to be at that place that Wally Lewis built. I can go one better. Oh, go on. And this is going to sound weird. I went to a game at Amy Park, and he was working with the Channel 9 commentary team, and I saw him outside the lift as he was going up. Yeah. I said... Oh, well, how are you going? And he put his hand out and shook my hand. I went, I just touched the hand of a god. Oh, man. Damn. He's got some lo- big hands. He's got big hands on him, too. No wonder <laughs> he was so so bloody confident when he went into a fight. As look, he's throwing bloody saucepans at people. <laughs> god damn. He's throwing lunch boxes. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it would be wonderful to get him on to talk on the podcast with him. I mean, I'm sure he's got a million people trying to talk to him. But. Um, isn't it great that our sport has somebody like Wally Lewis, hey? Yeah. Oh, it's so amazing. amazing. Yeah. So that's a uh, – I, I think we're pretty apt in saying that was a Wally Lewis era because I think, as you rightly said, without him, that I don't think Origin gets to the point where it's at today, let alone to what, you know, the heights and the hype it had around it during the 80s, and especially going into the 90s, possibly the – the most important part of Origin is to come up, which is going through that 90s period where it survived throughout the biggest 
and most tumultuous period in rugby league's modern history, and that was Super League. Yeah, and went through some tough times, but also created, and this is important too, created new legends and two and new legendary moments. Um, and as we're moving out of an era where you, I mean, as you say, Wally Lewis was there on day one, game one. And as you move out of those moments and you go into a new era where it is completely new players that don't have that connection to the first game, and yet this series still provides origin moments. Uh, and, and also super competitive too through the, through the next era. Um, and really, probably I think it's fair to say grew upon the legend and turned the Rugby League State of Origin series from being something that was that Rugby League knew was special to all of a sudden Australia and outside of Australia started to take notice how special this series was. And that's what we're going to in the next episode of our three-part Origin series. Absolutely. So on that note, we will... Uh... We'll sign off on this one and we'll get to work on the next episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening.